0: Here's a question for you. When was the last time you thought about your sin? Now I don't want—I not don't, I don't want to know the last time you thought about sinning. I don't want to know. Yeah, this morning. Uh, no. I, when was the last time you thought about how you've sinned, how you've sinned against God? When was the last time that you knew you—you you just blew it. You, you totally blew it. And and you sinned against God and and you know that what you did was wrong, and you you swore to yourself I will never I will never sin in this way, I will never commit this sin or I will never commit that sin I will never do that, and then temptation came along and it was just too strong and you were like I can't believe I did what I did, I can't believe I did that, or 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 you swore to yourself I will never sin in this way or I will never sin in that way. Again, I'll, I'll never do that again. And then temptation came along, and it was too strong, and you found yourself sinning again. You know what the Bible says. I know what the Bible says. I know what the Bible says about my sin. You know what the Bible says about your sin. You know what God, you know how God feels about sin. You, I know how God feels about sin. Uh, I know what the Bible says about what I should do and what I shouldn't do. I know what the Bible says uh, about my sin. And you know what the Bible says about your sin. And yet, we do it anyway. You know what the Bible said, don't do this, and you went out and did it. Or the Bible says, you should be doing this, and you're not doing it. And you feel so guilty. Uh, how do you feel after you've sinned? I mean, when it comes to mind, when you have come to your senses and you realize, I can't believe I did that again, how do you feel about that? I mean, how does it feel knowing that you don't have the self-control to stop? How does it feel to know when you've done something that you know you're not supposed to do? You feel lousy. You feel crummy. You feel like a a failure. You're, You're saddened over your sin. You feel guilty. You feel ashamed like this guy you feel ashamed if there was a rock big enough for you to climb under you would go climb under it just just hide me from everyone i don't want to see anyone i don't want to hear from anyone and i definitely don't want god to see me like this if i could climb under a rock i would you know it may have been a long time ago it may have been years ago but the wounds are still fresh it might have been this last week and when the communion trades were passed just a little bit ago, you thought, I, I don't even know if I can take this today. I don't even know if I should take this today. And you thought about just passing it down the aisle. Except for the fact that people would look at you and go, I wonder why they're not taking communion. You felt guilty. And right now, you're listening to my words, and you're saying, I really don't want to be here this morning. I, I don't want to hear this right now. You know, and... and, and You would walk out of here, you would get up and you'd walk out right now, except for the fact you know everyone would see you and they would look at you and they'd be like, what the world did she do this week? What in the world is going on in his life? I would get up and walk out of here if the tears flowing down from my face didn't give me away and make everyone wonder what is going on there. But before you walk out, before you tune me out the rest of this hour, know this. The message that I have today, the message I am preaching today is not a message about sin. (laughs) Got a funny way of showing it, Sean. This is not a message about sin. It is a message about grace, and it is a message about forgiveness. But you see, sometimes, most of the time, in order to appreciate just how good the good news is, we need to hear some of the bad news first. And the bad news is, we're sinners. But the good news is, God forgives. And we're going to talk about that this morning. This is a message about God's forgiveness and His grace for you and me. We've all sinned, and we are all in the same sinking boat. We all need grace, and we all need forgiveness. And like I said, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that forgiveness is available For any and every sinner, sinners of every shade, sinners of every color, sinners of every gender, sinners of every uh, age. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've thought, it can be forgiven. But I believe that there's a process. There's some steps we need to take to get to that point. We'll talk about those this morning. We've been talking about Psalms all summer long. We've been going through this series I called Psalms in the Key of Life. And we've seen how different psalms uh, uh, really speak to our lives. Um, We sometimes think of the psalms as these nice little songs in the middle of the Bible and they're easy to find because you just kind of open your Bible right to the middle and they're right there. But there's more to them than just some poems and just some songs that the psalms really speak to our lives on a daily basis. We've looked at psalms that talk about worry and fear and anxiety, and how we can trust in God to be our shield and our refuge and our fortress. We've looked at Psalms that talk about, well, last week's Psalm, Psalm 4, we talked about how we are to deal with our enemies. If you've missed any of the sermons this summer, they're available on our website at gfcc.net, and you can uh, click on watch, listen, and you can see any of the sermons basically from the past five or six years. Uh, The videos are ones we've done for the last two or three years, and then there's audio of previous sermons to that. So if you missed any of the sermons this summer, you can watch them on our website at gfcc.net. Today's psalm is Psalm 51. And this is a psalm that really resonates with our hearts as Christians. It's a psalm that resonates with our hearts as sinners. And it's a psalm that David wrote. And it's a psalm that he wrote after he sinned with Bathsheba. Now you may not be familiar with the story. It's found in 2 Samuel uh, chapters 11 and 12. David wrote this psalm after he sinned with Bathsheba. He wrote this psalm after he had been confronted with his sin by the prophet Nathan. He wrote this psalm after the child he had conceived with Bathsheba died. It was almost a year after he sinned that he wrote this psalm. It was the spring of the year. In the spring of the year in those days... The kings of nations would go off with their men to war. The kings would lead the men into battle. David, as the king of Israel, was supposed to go out and lead the men into battle. David didn't go. This year, David decided he was going to stay home. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. Instead, he had something else on his mind, I'm convinced. One day, David is on the roof of his palace while his men are away at war. And he's on the roof of his palace. And he's wandering about, looking around. And he sees her. She's bathing on the roof of her house. David sends for her. He inquires of her. Who is that? That is Bathsheba. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And he sends for her. And he sleeps with her. She goes home. Not too long after that, she sends word to David that she's pregnant. David's in hot water. David hatches a plan. I know what I'm going to do. He sends for her husband, Uriah the Hittite, who's away at war. And he sends for her husband because he's going to cover this thing up. He's been away at war for a while. Probably misses his wife. So he sends for her. He, uh, sends for him. He comes home and he won't go home. He refuses to go in to be with his wife. And David's pulling his hair out going, "What's wrong with you, man?" David's in hot water. He's nervous, he's scared. He got another woman pregnant when her husband wasn't around. Uriah is such an honorable man. He says, "How can I go in and lay with my wife when all of my when all of the Lord's men are away at war risking their lives for the nation?" I can't do that. David is beyond frustrated. He is going to, well, he's going to hatch another plan. This is what he does. In 2 Samuel eleven fourteen 14, and 15, he's going to send Uriah back to the front lines. He says, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab. Joab was the c- captain of the army. And he sent it with Uriah. So he, sends, he, ca- he, he writes a letter to the captain of the army, and he sends it with Uriah. And in it, he wrote, put Uriah... In the front line where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So, not only has David hatched a plan to sleep with Uriah's wife, now he's hatched a plan to kill Uriah. He's an adulterer and a murderer. He gives the letter to Uriah. Uriah is such a man of honor, he doesn't even open it up, and he carries his own death sentence to the captain of the army he takes it to joab joab reads the letter and joab obeys they all go out to war up to the front lines there's uriah come on men and the men go and uriah is struck down by the sword of the ammonites word comes back to david that uriah is dead in 2 Samuel 11:25 25 through 27, it says David told the messenger, say this to Joab, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. In other words, Uriah's death, no big whoop. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. I don't know about you, but if it was written down in a book somewhere that the thing Sean had done had displeased the Lord, I'd be shaking in my boots. David goes on living like this, no big deal. (laughs) I can't believe I got away with it. I have the beautiful woman here. Her husband's dead. Nobody knows a thing. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. David thinks he's gotten away with it. Sin has gone unnoticed. I mean, who's going to question him? He's the king. He rationalizes his sin away. No big deal. But God knew what David did. And God sent a prophet named Nathan to visit David. And in 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 9, this is the story of how Nathan rebuked David. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare him to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Not like, Hey, you the man. No, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You kill him with the sword of the Ammonites i don't know about you okay Uh, whenever i have to like confront somebody about something i get real nervous i can't imagine how bad nathan was shaking in his boots like as he's confronting the king of israel you know but he's burning with passion for what god had told him to say he is burning with passion because david did the wrong thing and now it's his job to confront the the sinner david and that's exactly what he did he goes to him and he, he he uh completely just um just lets him have it you are the man you did this and when david was confronted with his sin he didn't try and rationalize it anymore he confessed it in second samuel 12 13 it says then david said to nathan i have sinned against the lord and nathan replied some of the most beautiful words of scripture the lord has taken away your sin in response to all of this, the child that, as punishment, the child that uh, Bathsheba and David had, the child died within a week. And in response to all of this, David wrote Psalm 51. So if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 51, and we are going to uh, read through that this morning, and we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Also, grab your bulletin, turn to page 3. You'll find the handy-dandy outline. You can fill in some blanks. There are four blanks to fill in this morning. And there are four steps to take when we sin against God. The first step, or the first blank on your outline is the plea. The plea. In Psalm 51, 1 and 2, David writes this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. He pleads with God to wash away his sins. And he uses three groups of three words to talk about how he wants God to forgive him. The first set of three words are the words that David uses uh, to describe God. He says that he is a God of mercy, he has unfailing love, and he is compassionate. Mercy is simply not getting what you deserve. David deserved to die. uh, According to the Old Testament, he broke two commandments, like two biggies. Do not commit adultery, do not murder. He did both. He deserved to die. And he asked God for mercy, that he would not get what he deserved. He knew he had sinned, and he asked God to have mercy on him. The, the second word he uses is he talks about God's unfailing love. And the Hebrew word here is the is the word for the promised love that God had for his people. A love, a promised love that would never fail, that would never go away, that would never abandon them, that would never leave them, that would never forsake them. This all-encompassing, merciful, covenant love that God had for his people. And the last word is compassion. And he talks about how God is, he asks God to, it's, it's a word that means to have Uh, to give help to the helpless, that David felt helpless in his sins. And he asked God to give him help, to be compassionate toward him, to have pity on him, for David in this situation was helpless. The next three words he uses are words for sin. He uses the word transgression, he uses the word iniquity, and he uses the word sin. Now the word sin means to miss the mark. It's to know that there is a standard And to know that you missed the standard. Imagine, if you will, archery. Okay, and and do we have any archers here? Not too many archers in the 21st century, are there? Not really. But imagine an archery set. Okay, so you go out and you say, I'm going to get an archery set. I feel like going back to the 1800s and having a bow and arrow. Um, so you have an archery set, and you have a target. You have a bullseye, right? And the goal is to hit the bullseye. And if you can't hit the bullseye, at least you want to hit the target, because anybody standing behind the target is in trouble if you miss the target. So you have the bullseye, you have the target, and you've got your bow, you've got your arrow, and you're going to stand back, and you pull it back, and you let it go, and you completely miss the bullseye. And you completely miss the target. In fact, you shoot it so far over that you are seriously concerned about wounding a small woodland animal. Or, if you're like me, you're going to accidentally shoot it straight into the ground. What am I doing? Why am I out here? You have completely missed the target. You have completely missed the mark. That's the word that David uses to describe his sin. I completely missed the standard. I completely missed the mark. Uh, The word uh, that he uses, uh, transgressions, means to literally, it means to rebel against God. That means to know that there's a right thing to do, to know that there's a wrong thing to do, and to go ahead and not do the right thing, and go ahead and do the wrong thing anyway. To just say, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's transgressions. I know what the right thing to do is, and I'm not going to do it. Or to know what the wrong thing to do, to not do is, and to say, I'm going to do it anyway. So that's transgressions. And finally, he uses the word iniquity. And iniquity is a word that means guilt. It is an attempt to cover up your sin and not uh, acknowledging the guilt that you have. Well, there's three more words that he uses. And the final three words he uses are words for, uh, uh, are words for forgiveness. He asks the Lord to blot out. To uh, blot out my transgressions. To wash away all my iniquity and to cleanse me from my sin. Blot out, wash, and cleanse. Uh, the word blot out means to erase. To erase the record of your sin. To wash away is a word that has to do with washing clothes. You know, you know if you have dirty clothes and you take them and you put them in the washing machine uh, and uh, you put the soap in and the OxyClean. Anybody use OxyClean? I use OxyClean. So I put the OxyClean in there and I may put some uh, downy, uh, my downy ball in there and, and I, I get my clothes all clean. I put them in the dryer, pull them out and they're clean. They smell good and everything. You know, that's what that word uh, to cleanse uh to, uh, to wash means to wash away it's like washing the stains out of your clothing David wants God to wash away the the sin the stain of sin his iniquity his the guilt of his iniquity and then finally the words the last word is cleanse and that is a, a word that means uh, purification ritual uh, it, it, it's what they would do when they would go into the temple that they would cleanse themselves so that they would be clean before approaching God so this first step And we need to take, when we have sinned, and we know that we've messed up, we know we've missed the mark, we know that we've committed a sin that we should not have done, when we know that we have sinned, we need to come before the Lord and plead with Him, knowing that He will forgive us based on who He is and not on who we are or what we've done, but it's based in His grace. The second step is the confession. The second blank on your outline is the confession. Verses 3 through 6. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. David sinned against God, and he needed to acknowledge his sin. He needed to confess his sin. And David knew that God had a standard for humanity to live up to. He he had a bullseye, and he completely missed the standard. He completely missed the mark. He committed adultery, and then he tried to cover it up, and then he murdered a man. Then he, He murdered Bathsheba's husband, and then he rationalized it and thought he had gotten away with it all. But God had seen everything, and he sent Nathan to confront him. And when he did, David confessed it to the Lord. David confessed his sin. You know, we're sinners. We know it. I don't think any of us would deny it. Oh, no, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm not a sinner. W- really? Because the lie you just told makes you a sinner. Okay? So I, I, think, I think for the most part, we'd all pretty much acknowledge, yes, I'm a sinner. Uh, I, I sin. I, 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 I miss the mark. You know, and, and we do admit that we're sinners. We'll say things like, well, you know, nobody's perfect. Or or we'll say something like, uh, "I know I'm not perfect, but," and and the "but" is usually followed by, "I'm not as bad as that person." I I, I know I'm not perfect, but at least I don't do what she does. I I know what I'm not. I know I'm not perfect, but at least you know. Have you seen the news? Have you seen the news? I know I'm not perfect, but at least I don't do what they do. I know I'm not perfect, but at least, but at least, but at least, and we try and. We try and gloss over our sins with generalizations like it's no big deal. Huh. We try and rationalize our sinfulness, but we can't. So we need to confess them. In 1 John 1, 9, John wrote, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God is willing and He is able to, con- to forgive us Well, we must confess our sinfulness and admit our sins to him. The word confess literally means to agree with. To agree with. So it means to say, God says this about me. He says, Sean, you're a sinner. And when I say, God, I'm a sinner, I'm not telling him anything he doesn't know. I'm not surprising him. I'm not shocking him. When I say to God, God, I am a sinner, it's not like he's looking at me going, really? You? I didn't think. I had no idea. God knows that I am a sinner. When I confess my sins to him, I'm merely agreeing with him that I am a sinner. When you confess your sins to God, you say, God, I did this and I know I shouldn't have done it. I, 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 I know I'm a sinner. God's like, yep, yes, you are. I saw it all. You're merely agreeing with God when you confess your sins. You are agreeing with his assessment of the situation. And we are sinners. Romans 3.23 tells us just that. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody. doesn't matter. Red and yellow, black and white, brown, anybody. Men, women, young, old. Everybody's a sinner. We're all sinners. That's what the Bible says we are. God calls us sinners. We are sinners in need of forgiveness. And forgiveness begins with confession. The third step we can take is to ask for forgiveness. This is the request. That's the third blank on your outline. The request. Verses 7 through 12 of Psalm 51. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David asks God to forgive him, to cleanse him, to wash him, to make him white as snow. He didn't deserve God's forgiveness. He knew that he deserved death. That's what he said. I deserved Nathan even told him, you will not die, because David knew that that's what he deserved. He didn't deserve God's forgiveness, but he knew God's heart. And God has a heart of forgiveness. He knew that God desired forgiveness and restoration. And the good news is, is that God still desires forgiveness and restoration. God still desires forgiveness and restoration. He desires to forgive your sins. He desires to restore you to a right relationship with himself. God wants to forgive us. He wants to forgive our sins. Jeremiah chapter 31 and Hebrews chapter 8 talk about how God was going to make a new covenant through the blood of His Son, Jesus, our Messiah. God would send His Son to die on a cross and would make a new way through the cross, through His blood shed on the cross. And He would make a new way to have a new relationship with Him through forgiveness made possible by His grace. Hebrews 8:12 says, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. If we put our faith in Jesus... And we accept his offer of salvation by believing in him and repenting from our sin, confessing our faith and being baptized. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, God forgives our sins and he remembers them no more. God has wonderful sin amnesia. He forgets our sins. You say, but God, I did this. I don't know what you're talking about. No, God, you saw it. I, I Really, I don't know. No, God, I, I committed this tor- terrible, horrible, egregious sin. I'm really, I, I, really I, I don't know what you're talking about. Because when God forgives your sins through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, he washes you clean, he erases the iniquity, he takes away your guilt and shame, and he forgives you, and he forgets your wickedness and your sinfulness. That is our God. So many people want to make out God to be like this total terrible horrible bad guy in the sky oh he's just angry all the time he's mad at me all the time and he, he hates me god i know, just know that god hates me <laughs> That's the furthest thing from the truth god doesn't hate you god so loved you that he sent his one and only son and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life That's how much god loves you he gave up his son jesus to die on the cross i've told you this before i have a son and i love you and everything i don't love you that much give up my son for you oh, I, I like you but god loves you he loves you so much that he gave up his only son for you and me that's how much he loves you and so he says he will remember our sins no more our sins are blotted out we are washed clean we are cleansed we are made white as snow i i said it before during community meditations i can't stand snow i hate snow I mean, it's August, and I'm already starting to shiver, because I know it's the end of summer, and that means fall is coming, that means winter's coming, that means snow is coming, and I once had a conversation with God, I was living in Minnesota, see, we think we know snow here in northwest Indiana, we don't know snow, we do not know snow, Minnesota's no snow, and I'm driving through a terrible blizzard one day, and I'm praying to God, asking him, God, why did you have to make snow? Why? Why do we have to have snow? And God answered me. Now, this doesn't happen all the time. But God answered me that day. And in my head, I heard a voice. I do hear voices, but this time I know it was God's voice. Because God said, the reason I made snow is so you would see how white I make you when I forgive your sins. And when I wash your sins away, I make you white as snow. Freshly fallen snow. He says, "I want a pure heart. I want a loyal spirit. And God wants to forgive our sins. And when He can forgive any of our sins, He can uh, forgive all of our sins. And when we when we repent and we seek forgiveness, God is willing and able to forgive all of our sins, to remove away all of our guilty stains." But it's not based on our efforts. It's based on His grace. It's all about His grace. The last step that David takes is to make a commitment. The commitment is the last blank on your outline. 51 verses 13 through 19. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The commitment. David makes a promise to God. And he praises the Lord for his forgiveness. He will honor God by making sacrifices and offerings. But the offerings and the sacrifices David is willing to make are nothing. They mean nothing if there is no remorse. They are empty without repentance. Rather, it is a humble, broken heart that God desires. It is a broken spirit full of repentance over one's sin. You can go to church every Sunday. You can go to church every single Sunday, one hour a week. There's 168 hours in a week. You can go to church one hour a week and live like a pagan for 167 other day, uh, hours a week. And you may think, that's okay, it's all good. I went to church this week. You can live like a Christian on Sunday and a heathen the rest of the week. And you'll feel okay because you dropped 20 bucks in the offering plate and you did your one hour's worth of God's stuff. God doesn't want your money. God doesn't want half-hearted devotion. Jesus wants your whole heart. He wants a heart that is broken by sin. He wants a heart that is full of praise because of the forgiveness that he gives. He wants a heart that is fully repentant and fully committed to following him. A heart that is fully surrendered and a devoted heart that he can renew and transform. That is what God desires. That is what God delights in. Bring him the gift of your broken heart. David says, you won't despise it. You won't turn it away. You won't won't, uh, turn me away. He will welcome you in your sin and in your shame and in your guilt. And he will wash them away in forgiveness and forgetfulness. Bring him your broken heart. Don't hide from him. Don't say, oh, God God doesn't want anything to do with me because I'm a sinner. That's not true. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. I came to seek and to save the lost sheep. He came looking for you. He wants you. He wants to have you in his his arms. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to forgive you. The Bible says that God desires that no one should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance and a knowledge of the truth. That God doesn't want anyone to die apart from Jesus. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He doesn't. He desires forgiveness and forgetfulness. My challenge for you this morning is twofold. First, confession. If you need to confess your sins to God, then today, right now, right now, will you confess your sins to him? You may be thinking, I can't believe that he read my mind. I can't believe that I'm sitting here listening to this, and it's everything I needed to hear today. People come to me all the time. How did you know? I I didn't. When I planned this sermon out weeks ago, when I planned to preach Psalm 51 on August 3rd, 2014, several weeks ago, God knew you were going to be here, and he knew that this is what you needed to hear. And he said, Sean, I want you to preach on Psalm 51 on August 3rd. I'm like, okay. If there's a sin in your life that you just need to confess that is weighing you down, that is filling you with guilt and filling you with shame, Know that the accusations against you come from your enemy. They are not from God. God is not a, guilt, a God of guilt trips and shame trips. But rather, God is a God of forgiveness and forgetfulness. So maybe right now, just take a moment and say, God, I have sinned against you. I have committed this sin. And I, I, I want to commit myself to, to uh, following Jesus. I want to commit myself to uh, doing the right thing. And I commit myself to repentance. That right now, where you're sitting, God will forgive you for all you've done, and He will forget your wickedness. He will forget your sinfulness. Like I said, He's not surprised. As you confess your sins to Him, He's not shocked. Know that God has forgiven you. My second challenge for you today is to live out Psalm 51.13. Psalm 51.13 says, I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. God has washed away our sin. And now it's time for us to go and tell other people about it. To share the good news of God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ this week. Let's face it, someone told you one day, some day long ago, or maybe some day recently, somebody told you about God's love and forgiveness. And you said, that sounds really good. I'd like that. I would like God's forgiveness in my life. And that's why you're here today. Now it's time to go out and tell somebody else. Because it's the greatest gift you've ever gotten. You know, we'll do that with Christmas gifts. What'd you get for Christmas? Oh, you know, shirt and tie. Oh, eh, sounds nice. Eh, it was. We'll talk about our Christmas gifts. Or, you know, I got a new phone. I got a new iPod. I got a new tablet. I got a new iPad. And then we get real excited, right? I got this. I got that. We get real excited. And then we forget about the greatest gift we've ever gotten. What did you get this year? I got forgiveness. You want to freak out your friends? Tell them that next time. So what did you get for Christmas? I got forgiveness. Jesus came, died for my sins. I'm forgiven. What's wrong with that guy? Nothing now. Go out and tell somebody about the forgiveness that God offers. Go out and share your faith with someone this week. Think of somebody you know who's just walking around in guilt and shame. And there are people who are. There are some people who don't care. I just live my life and do whatever I want. There are people out there who are. Hurting, and they are ashamed of their lives. And the thing they need to hear the most is that there is a God who loved them enough to send his son to die for them so that they can be forgiven. And if they will put their faith and trust in Jesus, that's exactly what will happen. It happened for David. Hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, David broke two of the Ten Commandments, two of the biggies, and God forgave him. When we sin and we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and remember our wickedness no more. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.